Uh, so um, how much is that? Welcome to the Podcast Editor's Mastermind, the podcast dedicated to the business side of podcast editing. Tonight, we're going to have a fun one. Uh, we're talking about conference calls. And I, I guess, I don't know where that came from. Like, I don't know how <laughs> exciting. Well, we can't have a boring one. I mean, let's be exactly. honest. No one will tune in for a boring episode. <laughs> this is going to be the greatest show of all time. Uh, but we're talking about conferencing tools, how to contact or connect with clients, and all that fun stuff. Uh, before we get into it, a little bit about us. I'm Daniel Abendroth. You can find me at rothmedia.audio. I'm Brian Ensminger. You can find me at toptieraudio.com. And unable to join us tonight is Carrie Caulfield Eric, and you can find her at yayapodcasting.com. So, conference calls, connecting with clients. For me, it's extremely important. I think I've mentioned it several times already, but um, having com- like real face to face over the internet conversations with clients is hugely important for my business because I want to be more than just like, some random ghost at the end of an email account and like an email thread. Like I want a better kind of like personal connection with my clients. So that way, like if I raise my prices or if like a mistake happens or something, just like the idea of them finding a new editor is really difficult because they have that no like and trust factor with me. Like I feel like you get a much stronger relationship with your clients if you actually have an actual conversation more than just like email back and forth. Uh, and in order to make that happen, we need certain technologies. I would agree. I will avoid a phone call for like a sales call or a discovery call at nearly any cost. And it's not so much because I think I'm beautiful, although I do actually kind of hate the phone, but it's really because I, I want to see that body language. Like I want them to see me and see that I'm engaged in the conversation. But part of this is like, yeah, you're interviewing me. But I'm kind of interviewing you and your price might actually depend a little bit on whether or not I think you're going to be high maintenance. So it's it's nice to kind of have <laughs> a little bit of that sense. I mean, I try to keep everything consistent, but if I think somebody's going to require some additional attention, yeah, I might consider that in my pricing. Yeah. You bring up a really good point that I hadn't really thought about is like that body language. Because mm-hmm. like a problem I have when I get on these calls is I just like information spew and just like bombard them. Some people are okay with that. They like having all that information. Some get overwhelmed. And I can tell like based on like, their facial expressions, like, okay, I'm saying too much. I need to like edit myself and kind of like adjust. <laughs> yeah. I, I know that feeling. Thanks, Patrick. Patrick says that we are both plenty beautiful. So thanks for joining Aww. us and for the comment. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's talking about you because I've got my Captain Picard hair going on right now. <laughs> Yeah, I need to give myself a little trim here. (laughs) So, Daniel, I I know that we're going to be talking about conferencing software. I'm wondering, what is your preferred conferencing tool for meeting with clients, that kind of stuff? And before you answer, I'm also going to say, like, if you're joining us live, drop your favorite in the chat. We'd love to know what you use as well, because we don't know everything. And if you're listening to the podcast later, there will be a link for you so you can leave a comment because we we really would love to hear from you to know what you're using as as well. Yeah, one of the... just kind of like adding to that, one of like the really cool things about this show is, so this show, the community we built, as well as like other, like the podcast editors club is like the, um, oh, what is the term? 
like the brain thing. It's just Mastermind. there's so mm, I don't know. I don't know. Hive mind. Yeah, hive mind. Yeah. There is a ton of really smart people who have thought of things that we haven't thought of and vice versa. So being able to kind of share this information is incredibly useful. I know I, I wouldn't be in the position I am with my business if it wasn't for other editors. So with that being said, um, Patrick added, I am not in the biz, quote unquote, yet. But as an educator, I know Zoom like the back of my hand and so does the rest of the world. So Zoom for me. And we talked about this a little bit before in our own private conversation with, with the other Yetis. And Carrie is on the same thing. Like for her, it's 100% Zoom. And I totally understand that because like you said, like especially post-COVID or like, you know, pandemic, everything went remote work. Everybody and their mother knows Zoom and knows how to use Zoom. And so it makes it really easy connecting with people through Zoom. I use Zoom. I, I know that you knew that. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about why I use Zoom, but I know that you don't. So what do you use? Mm-hmm. I use MeetFox. And why do you use MeetFox? Tell us about it. Because it's all inclusive. So when I first started like connecting with my clients like this, um, I was still early and I didn't have like the budget to drop monthly fees on pretty much anything. And so using like Pre, I think Calendly has like a premium version that connects with your Zoom that'll do it. But I didn't want to pay for that because I just couldn't afford it at the time. So my process was I'd use Calendly to get like the, the form on my website for people to sign up. And then either me or my assistant would then schedule the call on Zoom, add it to my Google Calendar, send out the invites, would do all that. And that's just a lot of steps. And when you have a complex system like that, there's more likely for failure. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more points of failure. And that happened. We're at then um, Abzumo, which uh, <laughs> the money pit. love hate story there. <laughs> love Abzumo, but I also hate what it does to my bank account. My business coach at the time had turned me on to one of the deals they were running for Meet Fox. And so I was able to pay a once lifetime or like a one fee for a lifetime license. So I say all that to say Meet Fox does everything all in its own thing. So it connects your Google Calendar. It has a scheduling platform so you can create different calendars for different things and embed them on your website like you can with Calendly. And then it'll add it to your Google Calendar and also keep track of your calendar. So if I have a doctor's appointment one day and I put myself as busy that time, it automatically updates the calendar for me, Fox, so nobody can schedule a call at that time. And then it also has a built-in video conferencing. So whenever a client schedules a call, they'll get an email being like, hey, here's the information. Here's a link to the call. And so and then they also get a reminder like an hour before the call that they can click on that and go directly into the call with me. And so pretty much I don't have to do anything. Yeah. And and my story is similar. Although I use Zoom, I got a license to book like a boss back when it was an AppSumo deal. And they're probably even still their only integration as far as I know for conferencing is Zoom. And when MeetFox came out, I actually considered switching over, right? Because then I can get rid of the Zoom subscription potentially. But I had a gap because not only do I use Book Like a Boss to book interviews and appointments and things like that, but I also use it for booking paid consultation calls so that people can just go to a link book the call, put their money in, and then we're all set up so that I don't have to do invoicing and stuff like that. And 
I think that Meat Fox does that now, but I'm not sure that it did at the time. And that was one of the gaps where I looked at it and I said, well, I could do this, but that still doesn't actually save me the monthly bill of Zoom in order to have the premium Zoom service. And so that's why I didn't pull the trigger on that. That is one of the the things to consider, I think, in terms of your solution, whatever it is that you choose, is for it to do what you want it to do. Does it do it all on its own? Or are there other tools that you have to use and potentially pay for? Yeah. And that's what I love about Mutefox is it does all that. Um, and it also has, um, it can take payments. Okay. And so one of the services that offers uh, like remote recording or like engineering, whatever you want to call it. So basically what I do is I like use Zencaster. I'll set everything up, send a link to the podcaster for them to share with their guests. And they just have to show up and I'll do all the recording and take care of everything. So that's one less thing to worry about. But they can pay through Meat Fox. Great. Directly. Patrick had a question. Does I'm assuming this is Meat Fox. Does it require a particular browser? It does. Uh, Chrome. So I just pulled it up. Chrome, Firefox, or Safari. Or Edge. Okay. Certain versions, like more recent versions of Edge. So okay. it does require like the major ones. But what's cool, so I think Zencaster is like, you can't do anything with Zencaster unless you're using Chrome. Whereas with MeFox, you can go in and do everything except for actually hop onto a video call. Okay. Yeah. I was actually recently a guest on a show and they were using Zencaster. And so I did go ahead and fire up Chrome just because I didn't want to risk the browser I use is Brave, which is based on Chrome. So my assumption is it would probably work, but I didn't want to be the reason for a failure. But yeah, I totally get it. I mean, browsers are a big deal. And it's a really tough thing because I understand the desire of somebody who's doing something that's kind of cutting edge in the sense that it's it's functionality you don't use everywhere. And so it's using some specific code within the browsers. I can't imagine trying to keep up with Chrome and Firefox and Edge and Safari and any of the other derivatives of them keeping up with all of their update processes in order to make sure that the thing keeps working all the time. Because I think, if I remember right, Zencaster had some trouble a few years ago where there was a lot of dropouts and skips and timing issues. And I remember I was talking to the team and it seemed like it was primarily related to browser updates changing the way that the audio was being processed. And at the time, it was only Chrome. It wasn't even cross-browser. But because things were changing in the background, it was changing how the audio was being processed. And so that was causing issues. Then you also had the thing where people would have 57 Chrome tabs open on their computer. And so the computer just (laughs) relieves itself all over the recording. And that's not really the fault of the browser. That's user error. But yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? It is. And it's really frustrating because like the two parts too is like browsers not keeping up with Chrome as far as like innovation and all these new features. But also part of it is kind of laziness on the side of the developers. Because like, you know, Brave is pretty much a carbon copy of Chrome with a few like privacy features and like a few tweaks here and there. But it's based on the same kind of skeleton or whatever. But a lot of times like websites, they don't check if the browser has a feature. They just check if it's Chrome and just assume no other browser because it's easier on them. That was one of the issues we had with Boomcaster, right? Is Mm -hmm. that Boomcaster is currently Chrome only. And it checks to see if you're running Chrome. It doesn't care what the underlying code is. It says, is this Chrome? And I use Brave. I don't... Do you use Brave? Are you a Chrome guy? What do you you use? I use uh, Opera. Okay. GX. So another similar derivative. But those don't work. You have to use Chrome. And I did talk to Hari about that 
at podcast, what was it? Podfest. And it was like, you know, I'm, it's me and this guy, this is the team and mm-hmm. we've got to keep up with all the changes. This is the way we can do this for right now. It's a small team. It's self-funded and like, okay, I get it. Like, I understand mm-hmm. that that's going to make some people go, I don't want Chrome. I don't want all the function, call it functionality, call it spyware, whatever. I don't want all that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. We're using a platform that's available that we can work with and we're keeping up as best we can with the team that we have, right? Okay, I get it. Yeah, makes sense. But I know like, because Riverside can use different uh, browsers, I think. Yeah, Riverside can and um, Squadcast can. I know it's possible, right? I know that these other browsers could work, but it kind of is what it is. Yeah, we're kind of at the whims of what these tools will let us Patrick said, I had no idea there are so many browsers these days. So I apparently use what I know and have blinders on, which is fair. I mean, like, I know like Chrome has been like top dog for decades at this point. Yeah. I used to use Firefox. Edge is kind of like new and pretty good, apparently. Yeah. I like uh, Opera because it has a sidebar where I can connect like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook Messenger. So I can have access to all this without actually having the websites open. And I prefer Brave. I just, I know that it runs on the Chrome backend, mm-hmm. but it feels faster and lighter to me. It doesn't feel to me like it requires as much system resources. <laughs> Can I verify that? I have no idea. I certainly have the same number of things loaded in terms of plugins and things that run within the browser because I can switch back and forth between them and I don't lose functionality. So I know it's all there, but it, it does feel snappier to me. I don't know why. Chrome has, well, I mean, isn't Brave like the privacy... It is. Yeah, it does block some stuff. Yeah, so it could be that. I mean, there's a number of things. And I don't know how many times like my computer will be running sluggish and I'll open up like Task Manager and it's just like 50 things of Chrome. That like, sounds really right. Yeah. Does when really we say need close, that we mean just kind of take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> so you use MeetFox. Was there anything else? And I don't know you used Zoom at one point. Were there any other tools that you had tried for client meetings? Uh, Calendly. Okay. I think I mentioned that one for scheduling. And then I tried a fair number of WordPress plugins because my website's built on WordPress. And so I wanted, so what things that are important to me is I don't want it to feel like I'm using a third party thing. I need to update my website because the colors are all messed up, but uh, MeFox does integrate really nicely with my website. Whereas like Calendly was like pretty clearly something else. So I tried a number of WordPress plugins that just could not solve the issue. I don't remember what they were, and I wouldn't recommend them at this point. Yeah, so I guess that's one of the other things, right? Are there any tools that you know of that you don't recommend? I think the only one that I don't like, and it's really just kind of because I have issues, I don't like Google Meet. And the reason I don't like it is because I cannot figure out how to schedule a meeting through my Google Calendar without it trying to force me to have a Google Meet link, right? So I use book like a boss or I I use something. And as soon as I add another person to the invitation, it's like, you should probably meet on Google meet. So I have to remember to click the thing or there's a 50% chance they're going to go to the wrong meeting and I won't know which one they're at. And that's, that's gotten me a couple of times. Right. And that's, I guess, something to be aware of. Like when you're booking with guests, make sure you only provide them with one way to meet with you. Because if you provide two and you're at one of them and they will I mean, Murphy's Law, right? There's a high probability you will not be at the same one. That's really frustrating when these companies like come out with a new thing and it's like they have to push it in order to gain traction. It's just at the detriment of its users. And I was on a client call 
He's like, you need to turn this off. I'm like, I can't get it to turn off. He's like, I can. I was like, well, can you like, okay, that's great. Can you help me figure out how? Oh, I don't remember how I did that. I'm like, well, <laughs> I cannot find the button that says, please don't do this. I can find the little X every single time I schedule with you, but I can't figure it out. Patrick asks, do people use Skype? I have an account. I probably haven't used it in three years. I don't know. Daniel? Yeah, I had one client that used Skype for everything. And Skype is like really useful. So this particular client, we're like very, it was more than just like sending me the audio, doing the work and being done with it. There was much more like kind of brainstorming and strategy and that kind of thing. So we're What's really cool about Skype is it has a video conferencing function as well as um, text. And so you can, right. it's kind of like having a Slack with your client or whatever. So you can like send messages back and forth as well as having video conferencing. I don't know anybody that uses it, but I, I think Skype is still a viable option. I will say that probably the first two and a half years I ran my first podcast, Skype is how I recorded my interviews. Mm. Because at the time there wasn't a Zoom. Yeah. I don't even know that there was a Zencaster. I mean, this was 2014. I don't think there were any really good viable solutions other than something like Skype or a an actual phone conference. I, I was once a guest on a show where they actually recorded using a phone conferencing oh, service. What is it, like 1-800-something or other? Yeah, I remember editing a few of those. Yeah, it, we won't go down that path. <laughs> don't use those for your client calls. Just going to throw that out there. If... If you want to present yourself as a professional, unless you absolutely have to use a phone, make sure that you're putting your best foot forward. And that means sounding good and looking good. I'm going to shut up now because I don't even know which ones you don't like yet. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say there's any off the top of my head that I would say that I wouldn't recommend. One thing I forgot to mention about Me Fox is it has all the scheduling things, but it also has like actual rooms. So if you don't want to schedule something, it's just like, here's a link. Kind of like with Zoom, like Zoom, you would like start a call and send an invite link. Mefox is a similar thing. So you have like a studio or a meeting room. You can send like a direct link for that without having to go through scheduling and all that. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I do have another suggestion. Like there's nothing on top of my head that's like, I would not recommend this. I don't think. Of course, I mean, like I'm pretty happy with Mefox, so I don't try other things. I mean, that's fair. So you said you have another suggestion. What's that? So if you do have a client that doesn't want to do video. So whenever I get like on my form on my website, they have the option of uh, filling in if they want to do a video call or a voice call. And if they want to do a voice call, I use Google Voice. So you can get a free phone number with your account and you can make calls from a browser. And so I set up the same way. I call through um, my web browser through my computer. So I can still use like my mic, my headphones and all this and be hands free to take notes or whatever, as opposed to like trying to like hold a phone up to your head and like have issues trying to make an actual phone call. I can just call them from my computer, which I found really handy. That's one that I hadn't thought about. In fact, I like the idea of having a voice or video option. That's not something that I'd thought about. And then the reason that comes up is because I was interviewing people for a contract position earlier this year and I was actually all the way done with all of the interviews and onboarding somebody. And then one of the people that had initially reached out to me, contacted me back and said, I'm sorry, I never got back to you. I was really uncomfortable being on a video call. I was like, oh, I wish I would have known that. So that's probably something that would be a worthwhile. 
I might still schedule it in Zoom, but basically, like, do you want video on or do you want video off? Exactly. I still schedule it through me, Fox. And if they say, like, a uh, voice call, then it's like, send them a message being like, hey, then ignore the link in me, Fox, and I'll call you whenever. And Patrick says, uh, um, and you don't have to pay for Skype minutes. Yeah, because Google Voice is free. They have, like, paid aspects to it. But yeah, at that base, it's completely free. Just another benefit is now you have a business phone number. Mm-hmm. And so like I have my cell phone, my personal cell phone, but I don't have to give out my personal cell phone number. I give out my Google voice number as my business phone number and it all goes through my phone. Yeah. And then you just have to remember that you have to constantly use it or every three months they will send you an email and say, we're taking your number away unless you do something with it. Oh, do they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've never yeah. gotten that. Because I don't, I don't use mine a ton, right? I've got a Google voice number as well, but I don't use it much. And so every so often I get an e- an email that says, hey, the expensive part of this is keeping your phone line. So if you're not going to use it, we want it. And I'm like, well, I kind of like that number. It's easy to remember because it's really similar to my actual phone number. Patrick says they hate that. I'm assuming the constant email of, hey, use it or lose it. Probably, yeah. But they use it for audience feedback. Yeah, whenever podcasters ask for like a way to get voice messages from their audience, Google Voice. But that's beside the point. <laughs> Um, did you have any other tools that you would uh, tell people to avoid? I don't think so. I mean, for the most part, they're pretty good. And I, I haven't done a lot of looking recently because I found something that works. I mean, I could go every, every week probably to AppSumo and find another potential <laughs> option to replace Zoom and book like a boss. The thing is, I've never found one that was compelling enough for me to say, that's worth saving $16 a month because that's what I pay for Zoom. Book Like a Boss is paid for because it was an AppSumo deal. I actually picked a winner in one case and (laughs) it it continues to work. And they've done a great job of developing it. And earlier, Patrick had commented, I've been testing Libsyn's new Connect thing. It's not ready to fly yet and it's not video, but I can see how it could be awesome. You can share notes and edit them together. That is something I hadn't even heard of. Do you know anything about that? No, I'm assuming it's part of their studio, but I don't know anything about that yet. And I feel like I should pay attention to the chat rather than going off and researching on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) It almost sounds like maybe something similar to what Podcasters Toolbox was doing a couple of years ago in terms of being able to work with a client or something, like have more people on your team for collaboration. But I... I don't really know yet, so I don't want to speak out of turn. And that kind of brings up um, another tool that I hadn't thought of, talking about Lips and Connect. They mentioned it on the last feed. It's like Riverside or Squadcast. So oh, okay. a way to connect for interviews. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I had not heard of that. But Slack has a new, relatively new feature uh, to where you can do like um, conference calls. Really? I don't think I remembered that either. I don't use Slack for a ton. I mean, we use it for our mm-hmm. private chat, but I don't, it's not like I go looking for new stuff to do with it. Yeah, it's called a huddle and it looks like you can share your screen. I don't know if it's, if it has video calling, uh, but for a couple of my clients, I have them in my Slack workspace because we do a lot of collaboration there. So if you are more involved with your clients, then Slack could be a viable option. Yeah, that's good. I hadn't thought about that. So you made a note. um, What are (laughs) things beyond the tool and the cost that should be considered? Yeah. So this is one where I'm thinking 
in terms of being a professional editor, right? So somebody who's meeting with clients, either prospective clients or current clients, or maybe hosting, facilitating meetings, maybe you're handling the recording or whatever. I feel like there are some things beyond just the fact that you've got a tool that can do conference calls that are important. And in my mind, this is all about when I'm meeting with somebody, am I putting forward my best foot? So yes, they all do some level of conference, conferencing service, but does it have good audio quality? Does it have good video quality? Is it easy to work with? Does it look like the UI was designed by an engineer or a three-year-old or somebody who actually cares about <laughs> people, right? Yeah. <laughs> because I feel like even though everybody kind of knows how to use Zoom, it really feels to me like an engineer built it to make it a little bit hard to use. I mean, the fact that some of the controls are on the website and some of the controls are on the program and some of the controls on the website, it's just this really weird interconnected thing that is hard to deal with. However, it is the tool that I use. On the flip side, I think that there are several tools similar to Meet Fox that are kind of janky. They look like what a, I mean, I don't want to say this as though I'm being disparaging toward teenagers, but they look like something where it looks like a teenager writing in their notebook rather than somebody typing out a proposal, right? And so then you got to think, does that meet my brand? I don't know. Does that make sense to you? Kind of. Because this for, if, it, if you're using this for like prospective clients and even ongoing, like it will have an impact on their perception of your business and who you are. And so yeah. if it's really difficult to use, then that's going to, whether or not it's fair, it's going to have an impact on how they perceive you. And so like, if they have to jump through hoops or they have like a really hard time just connecting and getting on the call, that's not a great way to start a relationship with a prospective client. Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way about the whole Google Meet link showing up with my Zoom link, right? I mean, that that to me does not communicate to my clients the kind of relationship I want them to feel like they're going to have with me. Thankfully, this was an existing client that we've we've got several <laughs> years of history, so he knows I'm not a complete flake, but apparently yeah. I'm a little bit of a flake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's what I love about MeFox is, so they get a confirmation email right away and then also a reminder email. And then since it's connecting with Google Calendar, if they use like the same email address as they used with a Google Calendar, they get like a calendar event as well with all the information. So it kind of blocks off on their calendar too. Yeah, I, I'm not saying it's not a useful tool. It's just... Oh, sure, sure, sure. It, it's something to consider. It's like, how easy is it from the client side? Right. I think the other thing that I think about that's even beyond just the functionality of the tool is some of the other stuff, right? So when you're meeting with a client, are you portraying the level of professionalism in terms of how you interact with them as well, right? So for me, even though I'm kind of a jeans and t-shirt guy, when I'm going to meet with a prospective client, I'm probably going to have on a polo or something like that. I'm going to have my, what, $20 studio lights. I mean, it's not like I broke the bank, but I'm going to have my lights on. I try to have my background look reasonably clean, but interesting enough to hopefully not make it look like it's a green screen or anything like that. But I, th I think those are what do you have against green are, screens. I have nothing against green. screen. I, I shouldn't have said green screen. That was unfair. <laughs> what I have an issue with are those zoom and Microsoft teams backgrounds, mm. because I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting in a meeting with somebody from my day job where three people, one person in France, one person in 
Poland and one person in the UK are all sitting in the exact same seat <laughs> of the exact same office with the exact same time of day and lighting because they all just happen to choose the same background. Like mm. I get that they're sitting in their bedroom and they don't really want to show that off. So I understand that, but man, that is not the way I want to portray myself to a client because I want them to know that they're interacting with the real me and I don't feel like I've got anything to hide. Is my room a mess off camera? Yes, it absolutely is. But what I didn't do is cover it up. And that's kind of why I went with the, this because I use a green screen because otherwise you're staring at just like an ugly white wall. And so like I wanted something that's a little more professional, a little more nicer, just kind of the initial like... First impression? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely like you want to come off as the kind of person that they want to entrust their show to. So one of the other things I'm wondering, because we've... <laughs> Is yeah. that good, right? If, if you if you look, let's like here, my arm gets cut off and you kind of see like a little bit of a green outline. But yeah, I did a lot of work trying to get... <laughs> so for, my... for those that are watching later, Patrick says that he didn't even know it was a green screen. So you'll need to check out the video. On, on the Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com slash podcast editors mastermind. That's where we keep all these videos. And Daniel, he, I mean, he's right. Your implementation is good. You took the time though, even though it's a green screen to do it right. Mm -hmm. You didn't just hop on a call in front of a fan with some backlighting and, oh, you know, people walking behind you constantly and say, well, I'll just throw, I'll throw a Teams or a Zoom background up there because you can do that but it looks like that's what you did. Yeah. Uh, it, it would look like you had done that. It doesn't look like that's what you did do. We've been doing this long enough to know that I did know that it was a green screen, but <laughs> the first time I didn't, I was like, did you guys, I mean, you can, you can be honest about this. When I saw that the first time, did I not ask you if you had moved to a different apartment? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great implementation. It's a lot of work. And also like my wife needed a light. I usually have a light on this side. Which makes this side of my face a little bit brighter, which because okay. like yeah. in my green screen, the window's over here. So yeah, I did a lot of work to... So I wondered why that water is frozen out the window though. <laughs> Maybe I should get another one that has actually water moving. <laughs> you should. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but like to add to your point, also like um, when they, the blur on like the background, I know Skype does and I think Zoom as well. When they just like completely blur out the background around your face. Right. Because like it's really distracting when I watch somebody do that. Oh, yeah. I had a client that would do that for their, because they'd record video uploads to YouTube for their show and they would just do like a hit that massive blur. And it's just like, it's really distracting. And I would say that if you do want some level of blur, there are some cameras or some software tools out there that can give you a much more natural looking blur that it mm -hmm. doesn't look like you're sitting in front of a screen of frosted glass that kind of moves with your head as I go off mic. So sorry, Alejandro. Like it, <laughs> <laughs> We do have an editor and he's earning his money after this one. So apologies, Alejandro. But it makes a difference. At least it yeah. does to me. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm uh, I don't know, nerdy. No, I think because like first impressions are huge. And just like, okay, let's compare it to like a podcast. If you listen to a podcast and they have really bad audio, it doesn't matter how good their content is, the audio is still going to have an influence. I might be able to sit through bad audio for good content. I would much rather sit through good content with good audio. And the same thing with these calls that you're having with clients or prospective clients. 
having everything look good is it's a good first impression. Yeah. And I would even add like having good equipment. So don't use um, your laptop microphone. Still like connect a good microphone. So that way, one, they can clearly hear you because that makes a world of difference. But two, it also, it better portrays the expert that you are. And also making sure you have a good quality camera. Don't use like a cheap, the built-in webcam to where like you're having to look down and like this weird angle, like invest. You don't have to break the bank, but you can get, you know, what is like 70 to $80 for a good Logitech webcam. Yeah. You don't have to be like me and spend a couple hundred dollars on a DSLR camera, but just a little bit more can go a long way. I want to kind of capitalize on what you said in terms of a good presentation. I had this experience today and I realize I'm going to preface this with, yes, I'm an editor, so I'm sensitive to these things. I had a call with a prospective client probably three weeks ago. I liked the premise of her show. She wasn't able to justify going with a professional editor at this time. It was because this was a potential change because of some other work that she was doing. She didn't have a guarantee of how long that was going to be. So she couldn't commit to a full year. Like, okay, I get it. I was listening to her show on my drive to work because I was going into the office today. For those that don't know, I I do have a day job and then I also do this. So just throw that out there. I couldn't hear her show and I couldn't turn it up loud enough on my car stereo. Now, I'm not talking about my phone speaker in the car driving 80 miles. I'm talking 40 miles an hour on a back road. With my car stereo, I could not turn it up loud enough to make it intelligible without also blowing the speakers out. I wouldn't have literally blown them out, but I mean, it was, it was painfully loud to unintelligible because of the volume. And I want so bad to be able to help her. Now, if I was listening to her show for the first time and I couldn't hear it 30 seconds after the intro finished, because the intro was done pretty well, it was loud enough, I'd be gone. And I feel like that that same kind of mentality can can play into our client calls. In fact, I gained a client several weeks ago after the client call, but she was pretty sure as we talked that I was going to be her editor anyway, which is great, right? But if I had shown up looking down at the, like, with the camera pointed up my nose in a loud room, like all of that, I don't think she would have had the same perception of me. If you're watching or listening, I want you to get your clients. So just be careful about that. It does matter. Yeah, absolutely. First impressions are key. And I mean, it's just like trying to like any other profession, if you're going to hire like a service provider, like would you take your car to a mechanic if their car is held together by duct tape, you know? I feel like we've kind of gone down that path maybe further than I should have because that's probably my <laughs> fault. One of the things I've been wondering, because this is a question that I don't have an answer for yet. I've got some perspective, but not an answer. When is it time to change tools? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you kind of mentioned something earlier because like me, you know, neither one of us are out looking for new tools because there isn't a gap in what we're doing. Yeah. And I think that, and the reason I switched from my initial one was because the headaches I had to deal with going, you know, trying to use Calendly with Zoom, with Google Calendar and doing everything manually. So it's like, if there is a pain point that you're noticing because like a lot of times like if it's not a big enough problem for you to be annoyed by it it's probably not a big enough problem for you to try to solve and you can spend a ton of money trying all these tools to get that like extra one percent better that's not going to make a an impact so like is it something where it's like causing you 
discomfort or annoyance or whatever, then yeah, it's probably time to change. Or if it's costing you clients, I'd recommend it like if you have a tool set up, do it from the client's perspectives, go in and like schedule the call and like go through all the steps and make sure that it's easy to use. Any difficulty in your clients from your, the client's side is a point where they could just say, hey, this isn't worth it. I'm going to go find somebody else. Like maybe I don't need to hire an editor. So anytime that there is an issue for your potential client or your current client, I would definitely think that that would be a time to kind of evaluate and see if this is the right tool and if there's a better tool out there for it. Yeah. So I would definitely agree with that. A couple of the other things that come to mind, and part of this is because of a client episode that I edited where they were talking about tool selection and that kind of stuff. And it wasn't specific to this. And I don't remember all of the things they talked about because that would be way too smart for me. But one of the things that I remember them mentioning is if what or who you're using, right? So they were also talking about hiring people and all of that kind of stuff. If what is being delivered is more than is required, if, if it's overkill, do you need to look at downgrading? So if you're on the super premium pro enterprise version of Zoom or something, and you don't actually need all those features, it might be time to consider a different tool or downgrading your plan. And the other one was a great point that I don't actually do, but when was the last time you shopped it around? When was the last time you actually took a look at the market and said, does this still meet my needs? And for something like a conferencing service, that can be really hard because it's like playing whack-a-mole. Every couple of days, it seems like there's another one. Uh, again, probably on AppSumo, right? But <laughs> how, how do you keep your pulse on that? I don't know, but it probably is worth taking a look at it every couple of years. I mean, one of the things I'm thinking right now is could I transition some of my client calls to using Google Meet? Not because I particularly like it, but it's free. And the, the catch I have is I don't think it would be free for me because by doing that, there's still functionality I wouldn't have in terms of automation with that solution. So I'd still be doing manual stuff or I would be going back. I'd, I'd still be carrying the services that I am. So that's a big part of why I didn't switch. But yeah, it's something I'm thinking about because as much as I like being the customer when it comes to my podcast hosting, because I want to know that their investment in terms of keeping somebody happy is me, not some advertiser or something. I don't feel the same way about my conferencing service. I don't really care that much unless they start inserting ads into my meetings. I don't care that much what their revenue model is as long as they're reliable, because in my world, that's actually kind of a commodity. I don't really care that much whether I use Zoom or something else as long as it works. For my podcast hosting, that's a different deal, right? Yeah, budget and also like if um, reliability. So if you're having issues like, if, say like you're using something like Fox or something and like the calls are constantly unreliable or something like that. Yeah, and I, I will say before you switch for that reason, just be sure that the issue is the service <laughs> and not you. And yeah. I say that because I was on a, I was a guest on a show a couple of days ago where we were connected using a, a service that does some of those recordings. I'm not going to name the service because it's largely irrelevant, but we got disconnected probably four or five times during that call. Well, this person was in a place where the internet connection is not super reliable. I'm pretty sure that it wasn't the fault of the service we were using to record. Right. Yeah. Um, and since he was the one that kept getting disconnected and it wasn't me, I'm pretty sure it wasn't me. Right. But these are all like, I'm thinking through the troubleshooting steps. Okay. Where, where does the failure seem to like, I'm, so I'm going through that. I'm like, well, I mean, it is what it is. His internet connection in this case is what it is because it's where he lives and it's what's available. I get it. 
but just, you know, think about that before you say, well, Zoom's not reliable, so I'm going to switch or, or whatever. Just remember the problem could be you. Where's the live by? The problem could be. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I won't put this on you as the the listener or the viewer, but right. in my case, the problem is almost always me. The problem is almost <laughs> always the person who's touching the keyboard. And in the instances where it's not, it's very rare. So just take that for what it's worth. Yeah. Did you want to hit one of those other topics as well? Because we had a couple of other things come up recently. So we always ask the audience for show ideas or things you're struggling with or any ideas that you have. Um, but sometimes the topic is pretty brief and we can't make an entire episode about it. So we like to do kind of like a, a mailbag kind of segment um, at the end of the show. And today we have one such question from Patrick saying different uses for markers and how to use them. And I'm assuming this is going to be like with your DAW. In nine years, I've never used one on purpose. And when I see them being used, I feel like I'm missing out on something. So, Brian, do you use markers in your workflow? I absolutely so, use markers all the time in my workflow. Why and how do you use them? I use them for a couple things. And I'll say that that doesn't mean that you would necessarily use them this way. But I will use them to mark places where I believe there's something I need to communicate to the client. So let's just say that, as an example, maybe the conversation kind of went off the rails and I made the call to cut a larger section than usual. So I'll leave a marker there so that when I'm going to communicate with the client, I can say, hey, this is what happened. This is what I did. This is where it was. Let me know if you want me to change that. And so I can tell them exactly where it is in the recording. And also if they bring it back and say like, hey, why did you remove two paragraphs of the conversation? I can put it back in. Like it's not, it's not difficult to do that. The other thing I'll, I will often do, two other things, I do have a couple of contractors that I work with who do some work for me. And so if when they're going, and the way my workflow works, I do the audio repair, I send it off for dialogue editing. And when it comes back, I do the mix and master. Well, when I get it back for the mix and master, if there are audio repair issues or things that they want to send me feedback on, we will use markers for that so that I can quickly find the things that they said needed some attention or had a question. And then the other thing I'll do is when I'm editing and I have to take a break, or, you know, walk away for the night because it's time to go to bed or whatever, I'll leave a marker and I will make the marker name here. So the next day when I get, walk back up and I go, now, what was I doing again? Oh, I just have to find the last marker, click on it. I go, I know exactly where I was. And then I can continue. So those are three ways that I use markers. So I will echo um, communicating with contractors. So I have an assistant editor named Gabriel who works on several of my shows. And if I'm, so I know he uses them to like mark, like here's where like the episode starts, here's this, blah, blah, blah. But I'll use them like if I'm reviewing an episode and like there's an issue or like I need, like, hey, you might want to go look at this or like, why did you do this particular thing, whatever, I can leave a marker. And when he opens that project on his end, because we both use Reaper, he'll see all my markers and the comments associated with them. Another one is I have a client who, does a lot of revisions and she'll oftentimes record additional audio for me to insert into it. And so what I'll do is I'll always mark the beginning and end of each insert. So that way I know uh, what wasn't recorded originally, because if I need to process it different or like sometimes I just like to know exactly where I'm, what I'm working on. 
So one way I'm also going to begin using them is because Notrax is going to be implementing, um, they currently do it for Audacity and Audition. And for those of you who don't know, Notrax is a way that you can collaborate and leave comments with other people. Check back on episode, what is it, 50? I'm looking for it now. I think it was 57, but I'll let you know right now. 58. 58. We interviewed the founder of Notrax. So if you want to know about that, check that out. So soon I'll be able to download all the comments from Notrax, add them to Reaper and have all the comments there. But the main way I use them now is Reaper allows you to render audio based on markers. And so I have some clients that I make audiograms for. So the, the, my process is I edit the audio, send it to my show notes writer, who will then, as she's writing the show notes, will be like, okay, minute X to minute Y is a great spot for an audiogram also. And she'll give me like a couple options. And so what I do is I go through each of the options. I put a mark at the beginning and at the end, and I can tell Reaper to render just those sections. And it'll render... So if I have like three different... So I put six markers. I can say render marker one, three, and five. And it'll render out those three sections. It saves me a ton of time than what I had to do before. I mean, also in Reaper, you can put like... If you put in a marker and label it like equals start and equals end, that's the starting endpoint for Reaper. And it'll recognize rendering that it won't go beyond those points. So that's how I use markers. And I just thought of one other that I had forgotten to mention. I don't currently do this, but I did have at one point some shows where we would, I would use chapter markers and I would use those. So when I was exporting the file, I would have those markers. And these are the, the original chapter markers that are embedded in the MP3 file. So when you load it up, an app like Overcast can go, these are my chapter markers. I'm not talking about the new ones where you have to manually retype them because I, well, whatever. That's probably where we're going to go. But <laughs> that's one of the things I would do. So I would go through and oftentimes what I was doing, I w- it was basically a question and answer type interview where I would mark, this is where we talked about these other topics. I could use that to write the show notes to go you know, and add timestamps to the show notes, but I could also then add those chapter markers to the file metadata using Hindenburg. And I th- I don't know if Reaper will do this as well, but I could actually export those and have those as part of the thing without having to manually add them again later. I think Reaper can do that too, can it? Yeah, you just have to put like equals in all caps, whatever the title of the chapter is, and it'll do that. Okay, yeah. And Patrick had a follow-up question. Do they only show up in project files? If you export the, do- the audio, do they somehow pop up in a new editor? I think that would fall under the category of it depends. So when I export... The way my process works, I do the first export to wave from Hindenburg, which is my DAW, and then I will throw that into Isotope RX and I will do a quality check in RX. My chapter markers definitely show up in that. When I export or when I publish it from Hindenburg, I don't have it publishing the non-chapter markers. So then that time it doesn't do it, but that's really software specific. I do know if I put a marker in Isotope RX, it will show up in Reaper. I don't know about Reaper into RX. I can look into it and see. Yeah, and that, that would be the same for me too. If I put a marker in, in Isotope RX and then I bring an audio file into Hindenburg, it brings it in as a different kind of marker because at that point it's attached to the audio, not attached to the timeline, right? So that's, there is a distinction there, right? There can be markers attached to the timeline. There can also be markers attached to the audio. When you're editing, 
if you pull a section out, the ones that are attached to the timeline typically will stay with the timeline, even though the audio is moved. Yeah, Reaper's the same way. Okay, yeah. Good times, right? Yeah. <laughs> I need to look more into that. Yeah, great question. We, we love yeah. having these kinds. We've got another one potentially in the, the bag for a future episode, but we, if you've got other questions, let us know. The best way is to contact us through the website so that we know what you're interested in doing. But if you leave them in the chat, as long as we don't not see them, it's always a possibility that we'll be able to cover it. Absolutely. And if you do want to reach out, either just sending a topic idea, or if you want to be a guest, we welcome both. All you got to do is go to podcasteditorsmastermind.com slash be a guest, fill out the form, and we will get back to you. Side note, um, we did update the website and we lost a lot of like the previous um, submissions. So if you did submit and we haven't gotten back to you, please send us another message so we can make sure um, that you are not forgotten. Yeah. And we'll just blame that on Brian, who made the transition <laughs> on the website, having thought that Daniel already had all that stuff done. So sorry about that. Um, hate me yeah. to Brian goes to Daniel at... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just send it to uh, Carrie at, um, yeah, doc, at podcast editors. That's my doc. Carrie's the nice one. <laughs> Definitely hugs to Carrie. Um, I think is that everything. I think that's everything. All? I think we covered the topic. Great discussion in the chat. Thanks for joining us. If you, you know, if you catch this later, you're welcome to join in the chat. Or if you're listening to the podcast later, we will have that link so we can have that conversation there. We're using a service called galas.fm, which takes the RSS feed and creates a place for us to chat. So it's episode specific. So we'd love to be able to connect with you there as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for watching. And if you're catching the uh, audio version, thank you so much for listening. I am Daniel Abendroth. You can find me at rothmedia.audio. I'm Brian Ensminger. You can find me at toptieraudio.com. And unable to join us this week, and we are very, 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 very sad about that, was Carrie. Uh, We hope to have her back on a future episode. We don't hate her. We haven't kicked her off the show. We're very (laughs) sad she wasn't here. And you can find her at yayapodcasting.com. Oh, I forgot that. Oh. It's okay. That's why we're, we're <laughs> a team. It's late. Yeah. Between the yeah. two of us, we've got a brain. All right. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next time. Uh, um, so, how much is that? Um. 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 Um.